calculate, we will have three more weeks left after this. We will get through, we'll end the last week of April, so we will not go into May. We should be able to finish up. We have uh, 17, 18, 19, we have six chapters left in three weeks. We'll look at about two chapters a week, which is about what we've been doing. So um, <coughs> it should work out pretty well. Um, let's uh, open with a word of prayer, and then since there was no homework, uh, you do have homework for next week, though. Uh, since there was no homework this week, we'll do a quick review just to kind of catch us up where we're at. So, Father, we are thankful again that you are a God who is a God of truth, a God of wisdom, and Lord, you are a sovereign God. You are in control, and uh, everything comes under your power and your authority. And so, Father, we pray that uh, tonight as we look into these uh, somewhat troubling uh, to our human minds and understanding these verses, these chapters of the end, uh, Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to them, allow us to understand and see you in the midst of them. And we just pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all the way back, six lessons ago, because this is lesson seven, we talked about the, the uh, <coughs> letters to the seven literal churches. Those are actual churches that were in Asia Minor. Um, where he gives, uh, Jesus was giving individual directions and an explanation of his return. So we said that this book of Revelation was actually copied seven times and sent to each of those churches. Each one got a copy of it um, with their own personal directions. And then chapters four, chapter four through 22, uh, given to them as well, so that they would understand what was to happen. Um, in chapter 4, we see that John is taken into heaven and uh, presented a vision. He's given a vision of, of heaven and what is happening and what is going, what will transpire. Uh, he sees that there is worship all around the throne. We have some uh, odd-looking creatures and 24 elders surrounding the throne and uh, a lot of commotion, a lot of noise, a lot of things going on, thunder, lightning, uh, just rumblings, a lot of action uh, happening in the midst of this worship uh, in heaven. We see that uh, there appears there then a scroll, and it is a scroll that apparently we, we are assuming, because we don't know exactly what all is in it, but we uh, are assuming that it is a scroll explaining the end, explaining what is going to happen or what has to happen, and it has seven different seals on it. Uh, it's sealed seven times, giving it significance, um, authority, uh, the importance uh, of the scroll. Uh, but there is no one in heaven that has the authority to open those seals. And John actually begins to weep because there is no one worthy to open the seals. And suddenly a lamb appears on the throne. And the lamb being Jesus is worthy and he begins opening these seals. He, he opens them one at a time. And uh, the seven seals, we see that the first four are horsemen uh, bringing death and destruction uh, to, the, to the, the world, to the earth. Uh, seals five and six, we see that there are souls of the martyrs crying out, and there's a great earthquake like has never been, been seen. Um, and then we, we get this kind of interlude where he sees this symbolic number of 144,000 who are sealed, this great multitude that is worshiping. Uh, and then the seventh seal uh, is open. And the seventh seal actually starts the seven trumpet blasts. 
And so there are seven angels that are blowing trumpets or playing their trumpets, and these are more devastation and more destruction uh, on the earth with each and every trumpet blast. Um, and uh, then last time, last week, or two weeks ago, we looked and uh, we had some new characters coming on the scene with these trumpets. Uh, we had two witnesses, uh, two of God's witnesses. These were prophets that God had sent uh, and raised up. They were prophesying. They were then killed for what they were prophesying. And then they were resurrected. God had brought them back to life and then immediately took them to heaven uh, to be with him. And uh, then there's a woman that appears, which we said was the church. Um, and then the woman is with child. She's pregnant. She gives birth to a child, which would be Jesus. And then we see the dragon was wanting to destroy the child, and the dragon being Satan. Um, and uh, he wanted to destroy the child. He wanted to destroy the, the woman, uh, destroy the church. And, uh, and then we see that uh, as he comes on the scene, there's also a beast from the sea and a beast from the earth. And what we have in the dragon, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, is the unholy trinity, if you will. Um, the dragon being Satan, the beast from the sea being the Antichrist, and the beast from the earth being the false prophet. And those three all, as you, as you read through, you can see that they're, they're actually mimicking uh, much of what Jesus has done, much of what God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit does, but from an evil standpoint, with evil intentions. And so this is where we're at. That was 13. Now we are uh, in chapter 14. And uh, we see here that we're now back to looking at the 144,000. We see in chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Okay, if I played a harp, it would probably sound like thunder and not very melodious, but that's what he heard. He heard the sound of uh, rushing waters and loud peals of thunder and then the sound that was like that of a harp all going on at the same time. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four, and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. Uh, no lie was found in their mouths. <clears throat> they are blameless. So here we see that uh, this, the Lamb and the 144,000 are kind of back on the scene now. And uh, the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, we understand to be the city of God. Uh, so whether... This is Jerusalem that he is standing on, the earthly city, or a heavenly city. We don't know. And so it depends on who you read and what commentator you want to follow. But probably it would be an earthly city that he is now standing on uh, because of the fact that we're on earth. We're with the beast of the sea and the beast of the, the earth and everything there. And then this lamb is standing on Mount Zion. Psalm chapter 2 says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so this psalm really is kind of pointing towards this event uh, as, as Jesus is uh, standing on scene, standing on Mount Zion. Joel talks about, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, we've already seen that, the moon to blood, we've seen that, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Again, pointing to this end time. Um, <clears throat> so this is... Uh, really in direct contrast to what we had at the end of verse or end of chapter 13 where we have the antichrist and the false prophet coming and standing now we see Jesus is standing Jesus now has has come on the on the scene in a sense if you will uh, here and again with all of the loud uh, the loud noise that often associates what is going on uh, in heaven he's accompanied by the 144,000. Uh, and verse 4 describes them in three different ways. He says that they are a group of super saints, if you will, uh, <clears throat> that have foregone marriage. Uh, or they're, at least they're celibates um, and, and virgins. Now the problem is <coughs> that I should not have eaten that donut. <laughs> the problem with taking this as a literal physical unmarried <clears throat> would be that it sounds like then that being married is being defiled. Uh, if, you, if you look at, the, look at verse 4, it says, these are those who did not defile themselves with women. They were not married. So it would almost sound as if marriage would be defiling them. So we probably cannot go with the literal uh, but in the context of a perverse and immoral culture, remaining pure without marrying would have been noteworthy. To have lived in what these men would have lived in and to have remained pure without marrying would have been, been noteworthy. Um, some see this as a group of believers that have kept themselves from adultery, uh, whereas uh, marriage would not have defiled them, but they have kept themselves from, defile, from, a, from an adulterous relationship. And then the third understanding, which is the one that I would, I would lean to, would be those who have kept themselves pure spiritually. They have not defiled themselves. Because a lot of times, and you'll see as we get to 17 and 18 and 19, <clears throat> that, that, uh, that Satan, the dragon, and all of that evil is actually personified as a woman and an adulterous prostitute. And so these are ones who have kept themselves spiritually clean, away from that, uh, from being defiled. Um, and so this is, this is consistent with really how we have interpreted uh, Revelation thus far as looking at the symbolism of, of so much of it. So we have these super saints that have kept themselves pure, spiritually pure. They have also followed the lamb, uh, is the second one. Following, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. <clears throat> this really speaks to the, 
the whole idea of discipleship, when Jesus called his disciples, he said what? Come follow me. And these are ones who followed him wherever he goes. And that is for us today too. So that's a question we, are, we ask. Are we following wherever he goes? Are we asking Jesus to come with us? Or are we going with him? Because I know a lot of times we say, oh, we, gotta, you know, we take Jesus to work with us. You know, Jesus, come with me. Well, really, when I go to work, it's Jesus, what are you doing here? I need to follow Christ to work. I need to follow Christ into my neighborhoods, into my school, into my workplace, into my church, into wherever. I need to follow him. And so often we tend to look at it as Jesus coming with me. <clears throat> but here we see that the, the, the super saints, if you will, <clears throat> are the ones that have followed him, that they have made it a lifelong endeavor of going wherever Jesus led them. Uh, and so that, that really makes us look at our work differently uh, and our neighborhoods differently and, uh, and all. First Peter chapter 2 says, for, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, that we, we live the way Christ lived, um, <coughs> that we take the same values that Christ had. Uh, how many of you have read, is it Charles Sheldon, his book, In His Steps? Three. Okay, that's a classic. Four. You need to read that. There might be one copy, so don't knock each other over trying to get it out of the library. Um, I'm guessing you can find it on uh, Amazon.com, not real expensive. It's called In His Steps, and I think Sheldon is the, the author. Um, it's it's a, a classic uh, of what this verse lived out might look like. Not a true story, but it could be uh, if we took these verses seriously. And then the third description is that they sacrificed to God. <clears throat> they were the first fruits. Um, and, and if we understand the Old Testament, the first fruits was an offering of the best from the harvest. We brought the first fruits, the very first, the very best, and brought that unto God. And so here, <clears throat> these 144,000, they were the first fruits. They were bringing their best. They gave their best to God. They sacrificed everything and gave them their best to him. Um, picture, it's kind of the picture of the lamb and his followers standing victoriously, <coughs> and now judgment is about to be announced. That, that this is really kind of the army gathering together, if you will, uh, because the end is very, very close. Uh, the, this, the, we are getting uh, extremely close to this, and, and we'll be able to see as, as the enemy begins building uh, he knows that it is getting very close uh, to the end. So then we see in, in verses uh, 6 through 13 that there are three angels. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, <clears throat> fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. This first angel, he, he really just preached the gospel. He laid it all out again. 
and, and announce that the hour of judgment has come. It, it, this is now, this is the final warning. Here it comes. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24 says, But that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. And here this angel now has been sent to acknowledge that the hour has come, that that time uh, has come. And so the angel gives a, a final appeal for any to believe and recognize that the, the one true God, the Creator, this is the, the last chance. He takes the gospel, the eternal gospel, and proclaims it one more time. <clears throat> Verse 8 says, A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. <coughs> the second angel announces that the fall of Babylon the great. Now, with no explanation of who Babylon the great is, uh, it must have been understood by the readers. Those people in those seven churches must have understood who he was talking about with Babylon the Great. <clears throat> Babylon was symbolic throughout the Old and New Testament of unbelieving. Um, it, was the, it was seen as the center of the world's government. Uh, at that time and day, it would have been Rome. It would have been understood as Babylon the Great. Um, but it is seen as the, as the center of human government. Uh, it would have been seen as the, the enemy of God. Babylon the Great was always the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God and his, his people. And uh, so, like I said, those that would have been reading this would have pictured in their own mind Rome. Uh, we might picture something totally different. We might picture a, a, a more of a philosophy of thinking, a worldview, uh, secular humanism and uh, Islam, if you want. All of that, that government that it sets itself up against God. Um, and here the second angel announces that that is fallen. That form of government, that, that humanistic uh, form of government setting itself up against God is about to come to an end. Uh, and uh, so judgment's going to be worldwide at this point. Uh, then the third angel comes. And says, those with the uh, third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, <coughs> he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So we have this third angel, and he's announcing that those with the mark of the beast are about to take the full force of God's wrath and anger um, for all eternity, that this is, is going to be a forever and ever thing, uh, that what is about to be poured out in these seven bowls is going to last for all eternity, that, that type of destruction, that, that torment, that... Um, that uh, suffering that they are going to, to undergo because they have taken on the mark of the beast is going to last for all eternity. Um, <clears throat> it says fire and brimstone uh, is going to, to rain down. 
Fire and brimstone is what wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and, and Gomorrah right after the ninja angels took, if you watched the Bible series on TV, they were the ninja angels. It was my favorite part of the whole thing. But, uh, and it was complete destruction. And so when we see fire and brimstone, you can understand that this is going to be complete, utter, complete destruction. Um, everything is going to be uh, leveled. There is no rest. Uh, there is no let up. Uh, once it starts, it is going to be uh, continuous with no rest. Jesus, Jesus promises rest for those who are weary to come to him. But anyone who doesn't come to him, there will be no rest. There will be no peace. It will just be constant suffering. Uh, suffering the wrath of God. Uh, the biggest part of that will be separation for all eternity. Um, interesting that at, at the end there's a little, there's a, a voice from heaven that comes out in verse 12. <coughs> and it's almost like it's a little warning for the saints. That when we see this happening, right, blessed are the dead who are, uh, verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. That while all of this is happening, that, that the saints that are here, that we've been protecting, that we have the, the, we have the mark of God, the seal of God on our foreheads, uh, unlike the, the mark of the beast, that we are to endure. Understand that, that we are, are to just persevere through this. While this is happening, while these final seven bulls are being poured out, to endure uh, with that and, and to remember who God is. Uh, and then it is blessing on those who die in the Lord from this point on. Happy are those who die in the midst of this. Uh, because it, even, you know, the scripture we already looked, like, looked at, if it hasn't, wasn't for the saints, you know, they, this time would not have been cut short. It would have been longer. But, but God, out of his mercy for the saints going through it, made this time shorter. <clears throat> and so he says, blessed are those who die because it's even shorter for them and that they will receive rest from their labor. Um, in verse 14, <coughs> so we have these announcements that this is coming, that uh, uh, this, this is all starting to happen now, the rumblings and, and everything that's starting to happen. In verse 14, it says, I looked and there before me, was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he that was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grape from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stacia, uh, which is about 180 miles. That's a lot when you think to the bridles, okay? So you're talking the bridles of a horse, maybe this tall, 
up in here. I'm looking at my horse expert in the front row. <laughs> 180 miles of just blood deep uh, with those that have been gathered. Uh, this is what he's seeing. Not that it has actually happened yet, because I, it, we're going to see that begin to happen in, in 18 and 19. But this is what he's seeing is going to happen, this harvest. We can understand that the one on the cloud, like the Son of Man, is Jesus. Uh, crown signifying uh, his authority to judge. He had the authority to, to swing the sickle, uh, to judge, if you will. Uh, and, and we get two pictures of this great harvest of those that are not following God, <clears throat> the harvest of those on the earth, uh, the unbelievers. And one is the grain harvest. This is where the, the angel announced that now was the time and Jesus uh, swings the, the sickle and, and took in the harvest of, of grain, if you will, in 14 through 16, which is how they would have taken in grain, you know, with the big sickle, and they just swipe it through and then they go and gather up all the grain. And then the second one is that of the wine press where they take the sickle. I don't know that this is actually how they pick grapes, <laughs> but takes the sickle and gathers in all the, the clusters of grapes and throws them into the wine press uh, where they were squeezed, squished, smashed, obliterated, um, and then the blood the blood flows. Um, that is the picture that John is seeing of the judgment. And I, I think not so much as, as the actual what's happening, but the, the understanding of worldwide. This, this is everywhere on the earth. That this isn't going to be just a few here and a few there, but <clears throat> we are moving now to a complete harvest of those that have been no that have not been following God uh, of unbelievers and uh, so then in in uh, in 16 we have the seven bowls um, and so we we can uh, 15 is just kind of an interlude we can we can pick up there but there's not a whole lot that really happens I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. It's basically the seven bowls that are about to be poured out. Um, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They had harps. They held harps uh, given them. And, and there is worship uh, and praise going on in heaven again. Uh, to God and the, and the song of the Lamb. Uh, verse 5, after this, I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of testimony, was opened out of the temple, came the seven angels with the seven plagues. So really here we, we have them now. They are coming out, another time of worship in heaven. And now the seven angels come with these seven final judgments uh, that are about to be poured out. And so we see in, in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Um, <clears throat> these are seven bowls of God's wrath. Up until now, what was poured out was judgment. Now we are actually pouring out the very wrath of God. Okay, I, you need to see the difference. 
that, that judgment, okay, is, is what happens with, with sin. God is judging sin. There is consequence to the action. This now is the ultimate consequence of God's wrath being poured out on the sinful world. Um, we also need to understand, because a lot of people will get a misunderstanding with this, that God is not a wrathful God. Okay, we, we, we can see him and we, and we see that, you know, all through the Old Testament, God gets a, God gets a bad deal in our finite understanding. Um, you know, I, I'm, I probably am reading too much uh, blogs and various things uh, online now, partly in this study and with where the world is at and partly with different events. You begin reading everyone's comments uh, behind the news story. And God's really getting a pretty bad rap for the way in which he conducted himself in the Old Testament, uh, that they see him as a killer. Um, how can you say that he's a pro-life God? Look at what he did throughout the Old Testament where he told Israel to go in and kill every man, woman, and child, every beast, slay them, slaughter them, get rid of them, kill them, destroy them. That's God's wrath. But we have to understand that God is not a wrathful God, but it is a direct consequence of what happens when the holiness of God comes in contact with the sinfulness of man. Wrath is going to happen. It has to. It's the natural response of holiness and sin when they clash, when they meet. Because the wrath of God has to completely obliterate sin, okay, in order to be able to, to, to be in the same, uh, same area, same space, all right? So, so wrath is just going to be a natural consequence of sin. Up to now, we've only seen judgment, but the final is the wrath being poured out. So... Um, <clears throat> And it's not that the world gets worse. We, we, we can think, oh, man, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. No, it's the same. He, he's right now at this point holding back his wrath. And we can be thankful for that because he says in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, but with the, the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the delay of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So it's not that it's not that the earth is going to get suddenly worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and then clash with the holiness of God. It's that up until this point, God in his grace and mercy has withheld his wrath. He has every right to do it right now. He has every right that the moment a person sins to destroy them because the wages of sin is death. But it is his grace and his mercy that allows us to live even when we sin, and offer us the forgiveness that is ours. But there is a day coming, and we can't seem to think that it's slow in coming. It's not. Peter tells us, don't understand it as slow, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And how many of us expect a thief? I've had my car broken into twice in my driveway, once here, once in Fort Wayne. I didn't expect it when I went out in the morning and the window was busted out. Didn't expect that. Thief came in the night and I did not expect him to come. Had I expected him to come, I would not have left my wallet sitting on the seat. Okay? I wouldn't have done that if I expected the thief to come. Uh, and so he says the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. That's the sun, moon, stars, the heavenly bodies, not angels. Um, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so these are the final sequence of events ushering in Christ's second coming, these bowls, these final judgments. Um, and there's a parallel between the trumpets and the bowls. If you line up the, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, you can see in many of them um, kind of the same thing happening, only fully, completely, uh, to where the trumpets were a warning, the bowls are final. So bowl number one, 16, verse 2, uh, says, The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people and had the, who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Painful sores, boils, if you will, ulcers, open sores, um, incredibly painful, broke out on all those marked with the beast. Uh, anyone who had accepted the mark of the beast woke up one morning and painful sores are going to break out all over. Um, <coughs> this is also very similar to the sixth plague of Egypt. There's also a correlation between these bulls and the plagues. That happened, but again, this is worldwide. This is everyone. Um, so we have painful sores breaking out. Um, bowl number two, we see that uh, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. The sea turns to blood again. The Egyptian plague, the Nile River, turned to blood. In the second trumpet. Uh, he killed all of the sea creatures, and here all of the, everything in the sea uh, was destroyed. Uh, again, devastating effects on the water supply. But now we have worldwide, where the plagues would have been just an area. Um, the trumpets weren't necessarily all of the sea, uh, or, or the devastation was not quite as, as it was here. Because here, what unique description does John give the water? It turned to blood of a dead man. What does a dead man's blood look like? It's going to be dry, brown, coagulated. Okay, so you have now the sea is this guck, blood guck. It's not liquid. It's, not, it's, it's, it's going to be more almost gel-like. Nothing's going to live in there. It's going to smell horrendous with all of the dead animals and the dried blood. Okay, you got the point. <laughs> um, and so all the sea life is going to die in this one act, okay, in this, in this, as the second bowl is, is turned. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were 
the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So now we, we've killed the sea, and the, the, the water has turned to this coagulated blood substance, um, and now all of the fresh water, all the rivers, all the springs have now turned to blood. In the third trumpet, there was a third of the rivers were poisoned. Remember, that was the wormwood, that a third of the rivers were poisoned. Now, all of them. There is no fresh water to be found anywhere. Um, blood was the only thing left to drink. And so that's what they would have to have drank uh, in order to, to stay alive. Um, And so the angel states that, that God is right in his judgment um, and that, that this is just. And again, he refers to him in, in verse 5. You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were. Remember, it's usually who is, who was, and who is to come. There's no more is to come. Now it's just who is and who was because he is coming. He is here. This is all happening uh, now. And so as these bowls begin to unfold, uh, the judgment, the wrath is being poured out. Bowl number four, verses eight and nine, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues and they refused to repent and glorify him. Okay, poured this fourth one poured out his bowl on the sun and, and the heat intensified and burned people. Now, I've had a sunburn. I've had, I think, second-degree burns from the sun. When I was little, I, you know, red hair, fair skin, run around, no shirt. When I was little anyway, come back always, every summer. Nose sunburned here, blisters on my shoulders, peeled. You know, I would... I burn, peel, burn, peel, burn, peel. That's pretty much my summer um, is how it goes. This is an intense sunburn. This is the worst sunburn ever. He, this angel, has, as he pours out the bowl on the sun, the sun was given power by God to, to burn intensely. Um, and so he really turned the heat up uh, in this. Now, after the fourth trumpet, yeah. In the first bowl here, specifically speaking, um, those with the mark of the beast, so there are those who do not have the mark, they are seared by it, they die. How do you suppose that those without the mark would be They would be. Um, again, if you're pre-trib, the church is gone. If you're post-trib, the church is there and protected. Um, so somehow God protects them. The believers that are that are still there, God protects them from this intense heat. Um, I don't, huh? And the waters, and yeah, somehow they are divinely protected. Um, whether it's you know like the manna from heaven, water from the rock, uh, you know how He gets them what they need. Um, he is providing for those that have His seal uh, rather than the mark. But at this point, there's only two people, two types of people on the earth, those with the mark of the beast and those that are sealed uh, with the name of God. 
And so those with the name of God would be protected in the midst of all this, um, which is the warning uh, back to endure, to, to go ahead and press through. Even though you see all of this going on around you, you remain faithful and, and press through. Um, <clears throat> so after the fourth trumpet, do you remember what happened to the sun, moon, and the stars? They were darkened. For eight hours, there was complete and utter darkness. Now we've gone the other way, and we've turned up the heat. Uh, and the sun has become even brighter, even more intense with its heat. Um, and notice the people's reaction. Uh, they, they understand where this is coming from. They understand that it's coming from God, and they blaspheme his name, and they are not willing to, to repent. Uh, just like Pharaoh did. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exactly. And uh, they, at this point, they had, they had gone so far away from God, so far into hatred and evil and, and following the beast that they turned on God every chance they got. And so even when, when the plagues with the, the sores and the, the, the water and the blood and now this intense uh, burning of the sun, uh, they still held their ground and blasphemed God and refused to repent. In verse 10, we see the uh, fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent. <coughs> Again, it's now pouring out on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom plunged into darkness. Pain and suffering from the sores. So apparently the sores from the very first bowl still existed. With sunburn on top of that. Uh, with no relief from water whatsoever. Uh, you know, inside or out. And so now they, they are thrown into utter darkness. Um, <clears throat> to the point of chewing on their own tongue. Uh, huh? That's pretty painful. When, when you know, the biting the bullet, you, you bite your own tongue, that that pain somewhat relieves another pain. Uh, and, and so if you can just picture the immense suffering that is going on at this point. Um, and darkness, uh, you know, at, at the worst point, all the sores, all of the burning, all of the, the dryness, the, the parched, and then the lights go out. Then it is darkness. I don't know about you, but when I am sick, if I have the flu, uh, it's always worse at night. It's always worse at night. Things are always worse when it turns not when night falls. I, I don't know why, but uh, it seems like uh, you know there's just there's something about having daylight, being able to see, uh, that is a calming. So when it is dark. And, and here we see this, this is happening, that darkness falls and their pain and agony is intensified. Um, and this corresponds with the ninth plague uh, on Egypt when darkness fell. Uh, and so a lot of what we're seeing in, this, in the wrath being poured out, we've seen in the judgments. It's just now it's taken to the nth degree. It's just now intensified uh, at every level uh, of that. So bowl number five. Bowl number six. 
The sixth angel, verse 12, poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I, become, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so here the sixth bowl, now the great river Euphrates, which would have been blood, but still flowing, uh, is now dried up and allows for the kings of the east uh, to ride in and march down on the city. The Euphrates was really the eastern boundary of the promised land. That was kind of the eastern boundary. It was uh, acted as protector for, for, for many years um, that it would be tr- tough to cross the great river Euphrates, but now God has dried it up and allow the, the kingdoms to begin to gather uh, with that. And again, we see that the unholy trinity emits three unclean frog spirits. Um, <coughs> again, it was just the way he, <coughs> I don't know there's a significance to the frog other than we go back to the plagues where the frogs, uh, the plague of frogs. But these spirits, these demonic spirits, were sent to deceive through false miracles. Um, That is nothing new. It's been going on since the tribulation began. All of the false and the deception and the false miracles and the mimicking uh, the actions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so now they're just continuing to do that. Um, And the deception now is pointed on the rulers of the world. And so they are now gathering all of the rulers for one final battle, this battle of Armageddon. Um, It's uncertain who these kings of the east may be, uh, other than they are gathering all of the enemies of God is usually what the east would represent, that they're bringing all the kingdoms, the enemies of God together. Uh, verse Verse 15 is a warning to the church to be alert. Uh, not to be taken in by the lies, remain covered, remain spiritually covered, uh, protected, uh, and, and to stay steadfast in the midst of this. Turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians. <clears throat> I want to read a portion, and it's fairly long. But it speaks to this. It, it kind of, kind of, talks of this, this time and the warning to not lose heart and to stay steadfast in the midst of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 15, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or those who have died or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring them... <clears throat> Bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And this is in chapter 19 when we get here. This is what Paul is referring to. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So again, Paul is warning to, to stay steadfast. To, to continue to follow, to build one another up in faith, watch out for one another, that we will, we, while it comes as a thief, we should not be surprised uh, because there are going to be signs all around that we know this is coming. Um, and these bulls are going to, uh, to bring this about. So don't lose heart. Um, really, the end of all suffering right now is right around the corner. When this is all happening, the church is, is almost, I would think, in the midst of this, if our focus is upon Christ, we are seeing that the end is almost near, that, that we are just a brief time from heaven, uh, from seeing it all come together. The day of the Lord is coming now. So he's taken the, the they've taken all the kings and they, they've gathered them together, these frog-like spirits, um, and they're gathering in Armageddon, uh, which is the, the mount of of Megiddo, um, Megiddo, uh, there really wasn't a mount there. Uh, it was only like 70 feet high, so it was like a hill, uh, not even a big hill. So the where exactly this is, we're not sure. Um, but Armageddon, it's it, it's not so much a specific location, but it, it would would encompass all of this area. Uh, it's a place in northern Israel, and the location really is not that important where it takes place, uh, because it will be the final defeat of evil by the power of God, uh, that they are going to come together for one big battle uh, and, and try to overthrow. The, the enemy will try to overthrow God. Yeah? Mm. Because the vultures will eat uh, the flesh of the dead. Uh, in that, which we'll look at. Kings of the East, kings of the earth, it could be, yeah. It, it, we're all, it's all encompassing. I mean, this is everyone at this point um, in here. So, verse 17, <coughs> the final bowl. 1617 is the final bowl. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. <clears throat> then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake 
like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake, which is greater than the last earthquake that that was said about uh, during the trumpets or the seals. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountain could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Seventh bull, seventh trumpet, both had voices come from heaven. Uh, and this, this is the final. This is the last. We went seven seals, seven trumpets, and we're now on the seventh bull. This is the end. Um, the bowl was poured into the air, <clears throat> just everywhere. So you kind of get the idea that it didn't pour it on a specific thing. We're pouring it now on everything. We're pouring it in the air, in the atmosphere, uh, surrounding the earth. And so it's not a, not a specific location, but encompasses all. We see a loud voice from the throne <coughs> saying, it is finished. Probably not the best translation, uh, it's probably more it has happened. The, the end is now. We're there. We're there. Um, it's not finished yet. There's still a few things to, that are coming, but it has happened. The end has now. That, that final click has happened, and there's no turning back. There is no stopping it now. Picture the police uh, about ready to raid a building full of criminals. Okay, The criminals have run into the building. They're held up there. Uh, <clears throat> there's been some gunfire back and forth. The police are waiting. Now they've got the building surrounded. And, and you know, they, they kind of quit firing at one point. At least they do in the movies. Um, and, and all kind of silent. And then someone, the commander always says, on my word. And when he says go, then it's, uh, you know, the plan is carried out. It's boom, 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 boom. Just like we, you know, just like we rehearsed it, just like we talked about it. This is the commander saying go. Okay? Everything's set up. The, the enemies are set up. They're in the valley of Megiddo. They're, they're there. They're, they're waiting. They're assembled. Uh, the armies of God are, are waiting. They're ready. And now it has happened. Now it's go. And so this loud voice, this is heaven's now. We see lightning, rumblings, thunder, another earthquake, uh, this, this earthquake split the great city into three parts. Uh, again, we can look symbolically and see that uh, the three parts being, uh, see it as, as splitting civilization, God's divine uh, wrath upon it. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> the early church would have no doubt seen this as Rome, this great city being Rome. We don't know uh, what it will be at the end, uh, what city this will actually be. Could be Jerusalem at this point. Um, <coughs> but the three parts represent complete godly destruction. Um, three being that, that divine number, and here's this complete uh, destruction. Uh, and, and signified again by not only this city, but all the cities of the nations. Um, islands fled, okay, meaning they, they disappeared. Whether they went down into the water, they're gone. The mountains leveled, they're gone. Um, <clears throat> complete and utter destruction. Um, and then we have these 100-pound hailstones that fell on people. Joshua chapter 10, hailstone, this is not new. 
the hailstones is, it goes right along with God's judgment throughout the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 10 said, and as they fled before Israel, this was when Joshua was moving in and beginning to conquer in the promised land, they were, uh, <clears throat> a, a nation was fleeing before them. As they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So hail from heaven is not a new thing for God to do. Um, but these hails, hailstones are 100 pounds um, that are landing on people and, and killing them as they, as they go. And still, they refuse to repent. Uh, still, they're, they're, at this point, they are, they've dug their heels in so far, they're not changing their mind. Three times it is said for emphasis after each of the last three uh, bowls. Yeah, I believe there is a point that a man can get to that is beyond. Uh, I don't know where that point is. I don't know that I've ever met with anyone beyond that point. Um, but apparently there's a point where these people have gotten to where no matter what happens, they're not turning to God. They are so far removed from him and become, they've become so a part of the enemy that the enemy is them uh, at that point. The, 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 the beast and the Antichrist, have, have, those spirits have so entangled them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart grew hard uh, to where he was not going to, he was not going to turn. He was not going to relent uh, with that. So this is what he is seeing as it's all happened. Now, it hasn't happened yet, not only in our time, but even here, because it's not until 19 that Christ actually returns. And so next week, we're going to look at 17 and 18 and uh, see some of the symbolism in this uh, Babylon the Great uh, the mother of prostitutes that's there, and uh, and kind of begin working our way into. So I think we're looking at 17 and 18 next week, uh, probably 19 and 20 the week after that, 21 and 22 we will end up with the last three. <coughs> I think possibly they could have, yeah. I mean, once they once they took the mark of the beast, there was no turning back. Um, it says that too, that once someone accepts the mark of the beast, there's no, they're not going to change their mind at that point. They've, they've gone to that, that far point. Yeah, right here. Ted, do we know how long the wrath lasts, how long between the shows? We don't know. We don't know. This is all part of the last three and a half years, um, probably near the very end of that three and a half years, but we have no idea how long. There's, there's no indication. One in the back, yeah. I don't know. Um, I would assume they probably could go back um, and find it. You say they do know. Um, I know that that has been incredibly, that's incredibly important to them. Um, but I don't know for sure. Ron says, yes, they would know. Um, they would know what tribe they were from, and I, I would tend to believe that simply because 
that heritage is incredibly important to the to a Hebrew nation to know that. <laughs> I usually avoid those. <laughs> delivers us from the coming wrath. Um, another translation of that, the post-trib translation of that is <laughs> who delivers us out of the coming wrath, um, which, means, which, means we have to <laughs> which means we have to be in it in order to be out of it. So, uh, but they, they are, uh, it is that we are protected in the midst of that, that, that God protects his people, just like he did, uh, you know, Israel and the plagues. The plagues, Israel did not suffer from the plagues. Uh, they were protected from that uh, with it. So uh, here's your homework. In the event that post-trib is correct, okay, remember I say pray for pre, prepare for post, and it'll all pan out in the end. Um, list what you are thankful for that God has given you that you will need to remember if you find yourself in this time. If post-trib is right and we find ourselves going through and where the bowls are being poured out, what is it that we're going to have to remember when we, it says the, the people are to endure? You know, clothe yourselves. Keep, what is it that we need to clothe ourselves with? What is it about God that we really need to know? Because this is going to get down to the bottom. It's not going to be I'm thankful for a job. I'm not going to care one iota about a job at that point. Uh, I'm thankful for my family. Okay, that might be one, but even that's going to probably be farther down the list. So what is it that really is going to rise to the top of what you are thankful for that God has given you if we find ourselves in chapters 14, 15, and 16? That's your homework. Okay, so it's not just fluff off the top. This is really thinking <laughs> with it, all right? Let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we are thankful that you're a God who does protect. You're a God who pre preserves his saints. And Father, we want to remain steadfast. We want to remain faithful to you uh, in these days uh, as we approach the coming of your son. And so, Father, would you uh, strengthen us, strengthen your church, continue to build your church, uh, make us a lighthouse, make us a, a place where people come and find refuge and find peace. Lord, your promise is still there that whoever is weary, that they can come to you and, and find true rest, a peace that passes all understanding. And so, Father, we pray that as we go out into a world knowing what lies ahead, that you would make us those messengers of peace, that those, those ministers, those ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, that we would, we would lift Jesus up and that, that you would draw all men to yourself. That, Father, we might become all things to all men, that by all possible means we might win some. Father, until, you're, until you give that it has happened, it is finished call, help us to remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.